time that leads us up to Easter, and we want to look at together several of the wilderness stories in the Scripture and what we might learn and discover from them for ourselves. And so two weeks ago, we started with one of the earliest wilderness stories as we looked at how humanity experienced the presence of God in the wilderness in the Garden of Eden. And then last week, we moved a little bit forward in time to look at how the nation of Israel experienced the provision of God in the wilderness that was the desert. If you missed either one of those, you can go to our website or to the podcast channel and uh, you can catch up and listen to them there. This week, we're going to move a little bit further into the biblical story to another wilderness example. This one occurs just before Jesus' ministry begins. And it's the story of people going out to the wilderness to see John the baptizer. Now, you can read about that story in Matthew, Mark, Luke. This morning, I'm going to read a passage from Mark. So I invite you to follow along as I read out loud. Mark chapter 1, verses 4 through 8. John the Baptist was in the wilderness calling for people to be baptized to show that they were changing their hearts and lives and wanted God to forgive their sins. Everyone in Judea and all the people of Jerusalem went out to the Jordan River and were being baptized by John as they confessed their sins. John wore clothes made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist. He ate locusts and wild honey. He announced, one stronger than I, one stronger than I am is coming after me. I'm not even worthy to bend over and loosen the straps of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thank you. You know, this scripture that we just read um, about John the baptizer, it's, it's a little different twist on the wilderness story from the first couple that we've heard. You know, Adam and Eve were born in the wilderness. Uh, the, the Israelites were brought to the wilderness and through the wilderness by God and Moses. But in this story, the people from Judea and Jerusalem and that whole area went out to the wilderness by choice. And the wilderness they went out to, the area around the Jordan River where John was, was a, just an, an uncultivated uninhabited part of the countryside. Nobody had gone out and disturbed it, built it, farmed it, any of that. Truly just an uninhabited area, a wilderness. And, and in that way, unfamiliar to the people. It's not a place you normally went 
And in fact, when we go to those uninhabited, truly uninhabited, uncultivated, unfamiliar places, it can feel a little bit discombobulating, isolating sometimes. It throws you off your rhythm, what you're used to. We just prayed for this team that's going to be going to El Salvador on a mission trip, and that reminds me of a, of a wilderness-type experience like this. I had the first time I went on an international mission trip or a trip outside the continental United States. We, we took a team from the first church I served uh, down to Mexico to help build a church building for a newly formed community of faith down there. But their village was about a half day out, travel out from the nearest city, right smack dab in the heart of Mexico, and again, I had never been on a trip like that. I was brand new to ministry, uh, so this must be what you do. And, um, and so we, we went, and I went, not knowing exactly what to expect, just knowing that I was going way out of my element to a place that was unfamiliar and in a lot of ways felt like I expected it to be almost uninhabited, un. un- cultivated. And those kinds of experiences, those kinds of wilderness experiences where we leave our comfortable context, go somewhere unknown to us that maybe is less industrialized or less commercialized, where there are deep needs that we're not accustomed to Places and experience where there may feel like there's more questions than answers. Those kinds of wilderness experiences have a, a physicality, a physical aspect to them, but they also have a spiritual aspect to them. When we go to those places, those environments, have those experiences that we're not accustomed to not used to, that are unfamiliar to us. In fact, I was reading in a book recently called Out of Sorts. It's the name of the book written by Sarah Bessie. It was referred to me by a colleague. And this book is about her rediscovering her faith in a kind of a wilderness experience type moment. And there's a place in the book where she writes about a conversation she's having with a friend about how they've this rediscovery of their faith. And she cites the French philosopher, Paul Ricoeur, you know, like you do in conversation with your friends. Um, But as they were talking about this rediscovery of their faith, she makes reference to Ricoeur and his work writing around our own experiences of faith and belief and how we have these experiences of naivete. And, and what Ricoeur says is, we all experience this first naivete. That is essentially, we take what we've been taught at face value. If it was told to us, then that's what it is. And we accept that, and we live by that, and that's good enough. And then yet for most of us at some point in our lives, 
we begin to engage with that teaching, with those beliefs and those thoughts at a more critical level. Maybe we begin to poke at it and stretch it and engage with our intellect there in a way that we haven't ever before. And there are times where we find then some of those things that we were taught to come up lacking, to come up wanting. And in that way, spiritually, find ourselves in a kind of a wilderness place. And that's what Bessie is writing about in this book. And I want to read for you what she says about that experience of her own. She says, Rakur writes, Beyond the desert of criticism... We wish to be called again. I remember crying out to God once in the midst of what I called my wilderness, what Ricoeur calls the critical distance, because I was longing to go back. It was somehow easier when life and faith and God were an exercise in rulemaking and literalism, in black and white cause and effect. And I found it was not enough to live without the magic and the beauty, without the wonder. I couldn't return to my first naivete and I missed the simplicity of it. I wanted to be called again, to hear the voice of God again. Perhaps never more wildly than when it felt like the God I once knew was disappearing like steam on a mirror. But those who continue to press forward can find what Ricoeur calls a second naivete. I didn't know it, but I was pressing through my wilderness to deliverance, toward that place on the other side of rationality, when we re-engage with our faith with new eyes. And it is that very call to a second naivete that the people of Judea and Jerusalem were hearing from John when they pressed out into the wilderness to where he was preaching and baptizing. When they heard John's call to repent. When they heard John calling them to a changed heart and life. In that way, he was calling them to repentance, to turn and go a different way, even onto an unfamiliar path, one filled with more wonder and discovery than certainty and decisiveness, onto the path that we were actually made for, the one that is wholly dependent upon God. John was calling them to a change of heart and life, the kind of change that we experience in the wilderness. Other translations of this text say that John was preaching repentance for the remission of sins. The turning from one way to another, like Betsy was talking about with the kids. Maybe another way, a more thoughtful way to understand that concept of repentance is not just a turning in this situation or that, 
But it's, it's a change of orientation altogether. A reorienting of uh, the direction of our lives. A widening, a broadening of our understanding of God's presence with us. Repentance. John was calling them out of their constrained and concreted beliefs into an adventure of faith, into a second naivete. And you know, the more we read about John the baptizer, not just in Mark, but in Matthew and in Luke, Matthew and Luke add more commentary. So if, if you want to read more of that, um, you can go read about it in the third chapter of Matthew and Luke. But you know, they say things like John was calling people to repentance and saying things like, why are you coming out here to me? Just to escape the coming wrath that you see? You brood of vipers, you children of snakes, one translation calls it. It was understandable when we read things like that to get this visual image of John, particularly the way it says that he was dressed and where he was working, to, to get this image of this cranky, angry preacher just yelling at people from the lunatic fringe. <laughs> like, y'all are all going to... <laughs> and and we, we, I don't know about you, but I, I, I've had that image conjured up in my head before about John. Sadly, I, I think there are times where we're tempted to want to step right into his role and be cranky and angry and tell everybody where they're going wrong. Really, this story, though, invites us into the place of the Judeans and the people from Jerusalem more than it invites us into the place of John. Because those people, by choice, went out into the wilderness and out in the wilderness they heard this call from God through John to a new way of life, to a new way of living, to a reorientation of their understanding of God and to their understanding of what it means to believe and to have faith. Luke tells us that in response to what John was saying, the people who came out to him asked, well, then what can we do? What should we do? And in response, John pointed them to one another. Not to point fingers at each other. But rather to care for and provide for each other. He said, if you have two shirts and somebody doesn't have one, then share one. If you've got food enough and somebody's hungry, share it. He told the people who were involved in the economic system, and the political system, stop taking advantage of other people for your own gain and profit. 
the new way of life, the new way of living, this call to repentance that was more than just an act or an issue or a sin, but rather it was a call to a reorientation of their direction of their lives. Sin, we understand in the Greek, is described as missing the mark or aiming at the wrong target altogether. And so the remission of sin, the release from sin, the forgiveness of sin, the correction of that that John was calling them to was to have their lives lined up with God the way that God had intended them to live and was calling them to live. And it was only in going out into this wilderness that they heard this call from God. And and another way that John is described is by the way that he was dressed and where he was found. He's out in the wilderness in the uncultivated, uninhabited areas. And he's dressed in camel's fur and got a leather belt around his waist and eating locusts and honey. And I don't know, it's another place where we read that and hear that taught and thought, well, that's just weird. (laughs) You know, like it just, again, sounds like some guy out there on the fringe of society. When in fact, if you know anybody that enjoys the outdoors and being out in the un- inhabited, undisturbed parts of God's creation, ask them, they'll tell you that those are moments when you feel closest to God. When Maybe you have the deepest experience of the wonder and beauty and awe of God's work in the world. And come on, he was dressed in a fur coat and leather accessories and eating honey, which to them, even in that day, would have, was just like it is today. One of the purest, sweetest gifts from nature. I mean, honey was a delicacy. And locusts were known to be a source of protein that were widely available out in the wilderness. There's a sense in which John's very presentation of himself is a way that he was saying to the people, Look what God can do. Look what God will provide. Look what life is available to you. To all of us, when we will orient ourselves His way. This call to repentance came when they were willing to take themselves, take their faith out into the uncomfortable, the unfamiliar. You know, this team that's going to El Salvador, I know that some of the folks on this team have been before, and so it's not new to them. And they'll be doing some new and different things, but but they've had this experience before. Some of the folks, first time ever going. Kind of like my experience going to Mexico. That's no small thing. Talk about going to unfamiliar territory. That's actually something that uh, I recommend to folks when, when they ask me, they say, okay, you know, my, my, I feel like my faith, my Christianity, my walk with God is maybe getting a little bit stale or routine. I mean, mission trip is one of the things I recommend for folks if they've never been on one. As, a, as an opportunity to take your faith somewhere you've never been. As an opportunity to go into the unfamiliar. 
the different. The experience or the place where your footing might feel a little bit less certain as an opportunity to be wholly dependent on God. Now, maybe that kind of experience for you would be a mission trip. Maybe it would be a Bible study. Maybe it would be praying. Maybe it would be a conversation with somebody about your faith or your shared faith or somewhere that you're uncertain or struggling in your own life. But what happened for the people in this story was when they were willing to take their faith and go out into that unfamiliar territory. They met and heard a call from God. Pointing them, drawing them into the direction of life with God, the way we were created to live it. And then we read on from John. He says, now there's one coming after me who I'm not even worthy to tie his shoes. In other words, if you like the opening act, just wait till you see the main attraction. Because he will himself be the embodiment of the way of God. The way that God created us to live. And in that way, John and Jesus were very much apocalyptic in their teaching and preaching. But not that crazy, weird guy yelling at everybody about the end times. Because apocalypse actually just means revelation. It means the revealing, the unveiling of the truth. And so the apocalypse is the revealing of the truth. And in that way, Jesus himself was apocalyptic. Not pointing to the end times, but to the fact that he in himself is the end, the destination of life. And he invites all of us into that life into that living. And there are times where a step in that direction means taking our faith and going out into the wilderness with it. Somewhere we've never been before. Trusting that God will meet us there and show us the way to life everlasting. Amen. In just a minute, we're going to 